Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. This week we are talking about a father-focused face that overcomes our deepest fears. It's based out of Matthew 9. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to Restoration. Thanks for joining us. Um, I want to say uh, thank you for being a part of discipleship development in this church, for coming and listening week after week and learning things. And then I hope that what you learn, you take and you apply to your life and it's changing you and it's helping you to become uh, different. It's, it's changing your life and helping you become more like Christ. And uh, that's, the, that's the goal of Sunday mornings. We're glad you're here. If you're joining us on Periscope for the first time, awesome. Or if you're a repeat visitor, thanks for coming. Uh, and if online, thank you for visiting us online. Uh, today, we're, I'm going to start off by just telling you a story of somebody I met in seminary. And it's a story that probably we can all relate to. We can, uh, we can see probably characteristics of what was going on in his life in our lives. So his name was Joseph Schmozerwitz. He, he was Jewish, so we're going to call him Joe Schmo for short. Right? <laughs> but, um, we're protecting his name. But uh, he was in his 50s. He was in one of my counseling classes. And um, he was telling me his testimony, his story about how through his 20s, all of his friends, he had gotten out of college. His friends started getting married. His friends started you know, moving on with their life, and, and he was in his job, and he was committed to his work, but he just, you know, couldn't find a girlfriend that he wanted to stick with, you know, he was, he was struggling with a re- relationship issues, and his, his friends were getting married, getting married off, and, and he, he was looking at the situation kind of in a hopeless manner, he was like, this is, I've, I've been doing this God's way, I've, I've kept myself sexually pure, I'm trying to honor these ladies, you know, they say that girls like the bad boys, but I'm, my mom taught me to be a gentleman. It's just not working out. The good guys don't come in first place. They don't finish, you know. Well, and so he's like, you know what? Forget it. I'm not going to do it God's way anymore. The situation is hopeless. I'm going all in. I'm going to take control, and I'm going all in. And so uh, he met this girl, and they dated for like a couple weeks. Ended up sleeping together. She got pregnant. They ended up getting married. Um he had a, a little boy, and then his first wife died in a car accident. So now, like, not saying that because he made this decision, this were consequences of it. This is just his life. This is what happened to him. And um, so he had his little boy by himself, and he was in another hopeless situation. Right? He, he ended up in another place of hopelessness. It, every fear that he possibly could imagine was coming true. Right? He was alone, single dad. Uh, it didn't work out with him in the dating scene beforehand, and now he's got a kid attached to him. So that was a discouraging scenario for him. But he he didn't have a place to put his faith. He didn't have a place to put his hope. Um, he had he'd grown up in church. He had been through. He had like a perfect Sunday school attendance record, you know. But like he he just he had lost his hope. He had lost his hope. His life turned around. He ended up getting remarried. Uh, when I met him, he was married. He had three more kids, so he was a blended family. God was being good to him. He had been called in the ministry, and things were going great. This was in seminary. But have you ever been in a situation kind of like Joshmo, where uh, things seem a little hopeless, right? Maybe you you have a friend who's in their their twenties or their thirties, and they're they're single and. They've, they've gone through the gamut. They've gone through the dating relationships. They've done everything they can to do it God's way. And they're getting to the point of frustration where they're like, what's the point? Right? I mean, this is hopeless. It seems hopeless. Or maybe you find yourself uh, in a job. You're, you're discouraged. You keep, you, promotions are not coming. You're moving. You're trying to move up. And that you keep getting bypassed by the people who are stabbing people in the back. You're trying to do it in an honest and 
an upstanding way, but yet the people who seem to be the water cooler buddies are the ones getting promoted, and so you get frustrated. Or you're at school, and you've taken the same class three times, and you just can't get organic chemistry, right? I mean, you just can't get it, you know? And so it's hopeless. I'll never graduate. What's the point? Maybe I should, you know, just drop out or switch majors here at the last minute. It's been another seven years in, in college, you know? Like, you're, you're just at that point. Everything's hopeless. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe you're married, and um, there's a constant struggle between you and your spouse. And you fight about it all the time, and you think you come to a resolution, and then it comes back, and it comes back, and it comes back. And it comes back at, like, 1.30 in the morning when your spouse is sitting up in the bed and says, I just got to talk to you. And you're like, oh, again? You know, it's like, and it just keeps coming back, and the hope, it just seems hopeless. Where do you go? Where do you turn? Maybe it's just in the deepest parts of you. Right? Maybe your hopelessness is deep inside your own mind. It's in your own heart. There's a, a sin struggle that you struggle with constantly. You just can't break it. You, you've prayed and you've prayed really, really hard. And you've read the scriptures and you know what God's word says. But at the end of the day, I keep getting tempted and I keep falling. And you wonder, what's the point? This is hopeless. And, and then... All the things that come with hopelessness, fear, right? Fear starts to surround you. And so what does fear make you do? Fear drives you more into yourself, right? So you start to build up walls and you start to put wedges in relationships and you start suffering the consequences of fear and hopelessness in your own life. And, and it might be something that's just deep inside of you that only three people know about in your entire life or maybe nobody knows about um, your, your marriage situation or your work situation or that sin in your life, but that you start building up these walls, you start retreating inside of yourself. Fear moves you to selfishness, to self, and to more hopelessness. You ever been scared like that? What are you scared of right now? What's the fear that's in your mind and your heart right now that at the end of the day when you think about it and you sit and you dwell on it, it leads to hopelessness? There is no future. There, this is never going to get better. What is that in your brain right now? What's in your heart? What's your hopeless situation? Today we're going we're gonna to find out two people were in your same shoes, right? You're in a hopeless situation, and they came to Jesus, and they came to Jesus with something that leveled them, right? That put them on the same level as all of us right now. So the scriptures are not an outdated book. They, they speak to us today, right now. And these two people, um, one was over here and one was over here. And they were totally different people, yet they came to Jesus and they found hope. And so uh, we're going to see how they face this situation, not with fear, not being overcome by hopelessness or fear, but they came with a faith focused on Christ. Right? We're in this series called Mover. And up until now, Jesus has been the mover. He is the guy who moves the mountains. He is the one who cures the diseases. He is the one who saves us from sin and death. He's the mover. But here's the reality. Sin... I'm sorry, faith moves us, right? It's been said that prayer moves God, faith moves us. We're going to find out how our faith focused on Christ can move us and overcome our fear and restore our hope, right? So I want you to write that down. That's, that's what I want you to take away from today. This is what we're getting to. So if you're taking notes, write this down. A father-focused faith, we like alliteration, right? Father-focused faith overcomes our deepest fears and restores hope. Father-focused faith overcomes our deepest fears and restores hope. Say it with me. Father-focused faith overcomes our deepest fears and restores our hopes. 
We're going to be in Matthew 9, 18 through 26, and we're going to go section by section uh, through this text. So I'm not going to read it all right now, but we're just going to start in the beginning, set the scene, introduce ourselves to these two people and what Jesus does. And hopefully at the end of this, you're going to find out that there is a hope. There's a place to put your faith that leads to life. There's a place to put your faith that leads to hope. So, while he was saying these things to them, this is verse 18, chapter 9, verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her and she will live. And Jesus got up and began to follow him, and so did his disciples. Stop there. This first person that we encounter uh, is identified in this text as a synagogue official. And Matthew is one of the synoptic gospels. So a synoptic gospel is there's three. There's Matthew, Luke, and Mark. And they look at the same events and they have different angles, right? They're witness accounts. They have a, a same viewpoint. Uh, or They have the same event but from different viewpoints. They're called synoptics. And in Mark, this, is, this, this text is found in Mark 5. Uh, Luke, it's Luke 9. So if you want to compare those later, please feel free, but I'm kind of going to summarize this event looking at all three synoptic gospels, okay? So this first guy we learn is a synagogue official. His name is Jairus. His name is Jairus. Jairus uh, would have been a well-respected leader in the Jewish community. He would have been a guy that people knew. He was, um, as a synagogue leader, official, he would have been near the top of the religious ranks in the little villages, in the towns. Now, he wasn't a Pharisee or Sadducee. He didn't stay in Jerusalem and run the temple and all that, but he would have been, he would have been like the, the mayor of the town versus the Senate. You know, like he'd have been a well-known guy. Had some, some religious rank. He was responsible for helping people have ordered worship of Yahweh, right? So he was the guy that when you came to the synagogue, he would pick you out and say, hey, you're going to read the scriptures today, and you're going to sing the song, you're going to lead the song, and you're going to lead in this ceremony. Like he was the guy, he was the pastor or the worship leader of the local synagogue. So people knew him. Right? And, he, and he had taken a while to earn the respect to get to that position. He was known, he was Jewish, and he was a religious leader. Think about the time and the day of Jesus. What Jewish religious leaders who were well known. Most of them we call Pharisees, right? We call them the Sadducees. We call them the guys who were against Jesus. Can you imagine at the time how much pressure he would have had on him to not support or um, to follow Jesus? Like from the Pharisees and Sadducees, like from the rule down, it had been like created an, an unspoken culture that is taboo to follow Jesus. Yet this guy is in a hopeless situation, right? He has a problem. His problem is his daughter is either dying or near death or dead. He believes she's dead in Matthew. In Mark, she's, he says she's dying. She's in the process of dying, which, I mean, he basically believes she's gone anyway. And uh, what fears can you imagine going through his head? What do you think he was scared of at that point? Losing his prestige. Losing his prestige. But what if he was just a good dad? He was just scared of losing his daughter. Right? I mean, let's start there. Right? Let's just say he was scared of losing his daughter. He had, if his daughter had been sick for a while, he had had time to contemplate what it was going to be like to be without her. Right? I'm sure he had gone to physicians. He had tried what he could. And she was dying. And he and his wife probably sat in a room with her and held her hand and thought about what it's going to be like to have life without her. And what did that life look like? Hopeless, right? There's no hope. And then he could have been a guy that is just like that. He could have weighed the cost of going to Jesus, this taboo rabbi who the spiritual leaders are against and they always speak against because 
He's not, he's not following in the footsteps of the Pharisees and Sadducees. No, he's, he's this random rabbi teaching and healing and, and teaching things. He said, you've heard it said, but I say to you, speaking with this authority that Matthew mentioned in, in chapter 7. And, but he could have said, if I go and bow down before this guy, I'm going to lose my, st- my stature. I'll lose my position. I'll get kicked out of the synagogue. What if I just become, I lose everything, everything I've worked for. It could have been a fear in his mind. Maybe he, didn't, he wasn't scared of anything. Maybe he was just like, Jesus heals people, my daughter's dying, I'm going to her, I don't care about anything. Maybe he's just determined. But the simple fact is, this guy, regardless of whatever fears he was facing, he didn't run to another physician, he didn't run to a mystic or a magician, he didn't run to a temple of a false god in the area, or a pagan god. He, he decided he was going to not be paralyzed by fear and hopelessness, he was going to move to Jesus. He was going to put his faith in Jesus. And faith moved him towards the God in the flesh, right? Towards Jesus Christ. And since, uh, with a sense of hope and an attitude of worship. Notice it says, when he came to Jesus, he didn't just say, hey Jesus, hey buddy, how you doing? My daughter's dead, can you come save her? No, he bowed down and worked, he like humbled himself before Christ. He came with an attitude of hope and an attitude of worship. And he bowed down before God and he said, help me. My daughter is dead. But if you just go touch her, I know she'll live. That's a hope of a certain future, right? If you will just touch her, I know she will live. Hope of a certain future. Now, Jairus probably did not know that Jesus was God in the flesh, right? But he knew his reputation. He knew his name. He had seen what other people knew about him, and that was good enough to move him in faith to the feet of Jesus, to bow down and say, help me. Now enters the tension. Jesus says, okay, let's go. Let's, I mean, in, in Mark and Luke, Jesus is coming off of teaching a large crowd. He's coming off of a boat. He's on a shore. And Jairus runs up to him and says, help me, help me. My daughter's dying. And he's like, okay, well, let's go. And he starts to move through this crowd of people, right? And Mark says that the people were pressing into Jesus. They were pressing on him, pushing him. So he's, he's you know, imagine going to a concert and all the people around, you're trying to get to the front row. Right, and then you you gotta be like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, sorry, excuse. Me. Jesus and his disciples are moving towards Jairus' house, and then enters the tension in this story. Verse twenty. And a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhage for twelve years came up behind him and touched him on the fringe of his cloak, for she was saying to herself, "If I only touch his garment, I will get well." But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, "Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well." And at once, the woman was made well. So he's on his way to heal this sick girl, or this dead girl, raise her to life. And some random woman just comes and grabs his cloak. Right? I mean, we don't know her name. We don't know what she did with her life. But we can tell a few things about her. We know a lot about her just by the clues that Matthew gives us. He says, uh, we know that she's been suffering from a condition called hemorrhage, right, for 12 years. And uh, most of the commentators, the scholars, believe that hemorrhage had to do with a irregular menstrual flow, that she just couldn't stop bleeding. And um, this is just common in underdeveloped countries, especially after a first pregnancy, that might, um, might be a miscarriage. It, it's the continual flow of blood. They just can't stop, and which can make you anemic, can make you weak, 
can make you all kinds of things. But we know for 12 years this is happening. So usually girls in Scripture, they were getting married very young, 12, 13, 14. They were getting married and they started having children. So we can assume that this woman, if she's been bleeding for 12 years, and usually the start of this condition is a, a miscarriage or something, probably got married real young, had a miscarriage, started bleeding, and now she's probably in her mid-20s, right? 24, 25, 26, somewhere around there. She's in her mid-20s. So this young woman comes up, and she's pressing through the crowd to find Jesus. If, if she's had a miscarriage before and she continuously has bleeding, she's also probably childless. She's barren, right? And in a culture where you got married young and started having babies, and that, that is how you secured your future because then your kids would marry into other, other families and, and bring in money, or you would have kids and large groups of kids that would take care of cattle and food or the farm or whatever. That was your hope. That was your future, too. So you had kids to survive, and she's barren. She's a single lady, more than likely, because imagine her husband probably divorced her after the first miscarriage and the constant bleeding. Uh, she's probably single. She's barren. She's had this hemorrhage for 12 years. She's been suffering. In Mark 5, we see that she had spent all of her money on the physicians. All of her money. And, and Luke says that she had spent all of her money and she was worse off than she started. Right? So she went with her hope and her finances and went to the physicians and said, help me, help me, help me. And now she's in their 20s, single, barren, and broke. Right? She has no resources. She's at the end of her rope. And I believe that she was probably very isolated in her culture. I'll explain why in just a second. This woman was probably feeling a lot of things, right? I believe that she probably was fearful of being alone forever, right? And that's why she went to the physicians and spent all of her resources trying to be healed. Because if she could be healed, she could start having kids. She could maybe remarry or have a hope for a future. She was scared of being alone. She was the fear of dying young. Probably fearful of even God himself because, you know, a lot of the cultural belief was you have a condition because you sinned or someone sinned and now you're paying the price of it, right? I mean... Remember when they would bring the lepers to Jesus and, and, and Jesus, the Pharisees would say, who had sinned to cause this person to be like this? You know, like they had that mentality. Well, she probably was scared of God. What did I do, God? Why have you done this to me? Why, why will this never stop? I've done everything I can and there's no hope. But somehow she had heard of this man, this man Jesus. And she had heard that people were being healed by this man. She had heard that it didn't even take him to touch you. All you had to do was touch his garments and you could be healed. This is what was in her mind. This is where her faith was. There was a man named Jesus that could heal me if I just touch his cloak. If I just touch his, his jacket or his pants or whatever it was he's dragging behind him. If I just get a hold of that, I'll be healed. She's at a loss. She's run out of hope. She's run out of resources. She's alone and rejected. And she simply put her faith it was probably an imperfect faith, right? I mean, she didn't know he was, he was God. She just knew that he could heal her. An imperfect faith in Jesus, in the name of Jesus, because of his reputation, she moved. That was enough to move her. Faith moved her towards Jesus. And that step of faith carried with it great risk. So this is why I think she was alone and while she was an outcast in society, this is why I think moving towards Jesus in this crowd of people was of great risk. In Leviticus 15, we have the purity laws for men and women, right? 
So uh, ritual purity was important in the in the day of Jesus. Uh, it was the law of Moses was important. Obeying the law of Moses, being strictly obeying the law of Moses. The Pharisees added more laws to obey the law of Moses, so you wouldn't possibly disobey the law of Moses. You had to, you had to know the law. You had to obey the law. And in Leviticus 15, the law tells us that there is this purity sense. Men can't do certain things, and, and or they're unpure. And if they're unpure, if they're unclean, then they have to go and go through ritual cleaning. And they'll be unpure until sunset. And then they can participate in worship, or they can come back to their families. Women, when they were on their menstrual cycle, had to leave their homes or their camps for seven days and be separated until the time of their menstrual cycle was over. Then they had to bathe themselves in a specific way, and then they, they could come back and participate in their families and be clean again, spiritually clean. Leviticus 15.25 says this, If a woman has discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of her discharge she shall be continually unclean. In the days of her impurity she shall be unclean. For 12 years this woman had been unclean. She couldn't participate in worship. She couldn't go to the synagogue. She couldn't go to the temple. She couldn't participate in the Passover. She couldn't participate in all the things that make her Jewish, right? To make her who she was because she was unclean, constantly, consistently unclean. So that meant that this woman who was coming to Jesus despite her fear was consistently and continually unclean. That means that anyone that she touched for 12 years became unclean and had to go through ritualistic cleaning. And that means that everything that she, she sat on, every place she ate, every place she slept was consistently unclean and had to go through ritual cleaning. So can you imagine that her family probably put up with her for a little while when she maybe was divorced from her husband or kicked out of her home or whatever? Her family probably said, come on, we'll, we'll take care of you. But then constantly having to go through ritualistic cleaning every single day or every week probably got a little annoying to the family. So I can imagine they probably put her out in the shed in the back. Right? Or in the, in the back of the courtyard or put her in the barn with the animals or, or maybe even said, you know, now you're making the animals unclean and we can't even go out there because if we touch anything you've touched, we can come unclean again. So why don't you just get out? Why don't you just go? So she started off with limited resources and then she spent it all on doctors trying to, figure, trying, trying to fix herself. Can you imagine a more hopeless situation? Like in a culture, can you imagine a more hopeless situation? Maybe the one you're imagining is the one you're struggling with. It's your hopeless situation. You're like, yeah, I get it, but there's a solution for her. I mean, we could, we could solve that problem, but my problem is different. There is no hope. I can't overcome this. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. Same scenario, right? No one wanted her. No one could help her. She was broke. She was worse off for seeing doctors. She's single. She's barren. She's utterly hopeless. She's constantly spiritually unclean. She is the poster child of roughage, right? Of, of the lowest of low culture. She, she's, she's like shepherds, right? And leopards. That's what she is. That's, she's, she's the lowest of the low. And she comes to Jesus. Now the risk is this. In this crowd, every person she touches could turn on her. They could stone her. They could reject her. They could beat her senseless. You just made me unclean. What are you doing? You're not even supposed to be around us. You're supposed to be sitting over there in the space of the unclean people. What are you doing coming in this crowd? We're here to see Jesus, and you are ruining my day and my life. They all could have turned on her. And so she was stealthy, and she tried to steal a miracle, right? She tried to move in where nobody could see her, probably cover it up, and grab that cloak and get out. But the Scripture says that Jesus sensed her faith. Sensed her faith because when she touched him, 
And the power to heal her came out of him. Right? Came out of him. He stopped everything. He's in this big crowd. He's like, whoa, 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 who touched me? His disciples are like, what do you mean who touched you? There's like 5,000 people around here and they're all over you. What do you mean who touched you? He's like, no, no, somebody touched me. Somebody with faith just touched me. Because I felt the power go out of me. Somebody touched me. But what about Jesus? Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. If this unclean woman comes up and touches his clothes to everybody else, what has Jesus just become? Unclean. But that's not what happened. Right? He's the only person she can touch that she can't transfer her filth to. But he transferred his cleanliness to her. Right? He transferred the power. Isn't that cool? He didn't, she, he didn't become unclean. He made her clean. He made her clean. That's the same thing he does for us. He takes our sin voluntarily. We don't just like sneak up and give it to him. He voluntarily comes and takes our sin upon himself, and then he transfers to us his righteousness. Right? So what you see in verse 20 through 22 is the gospel in a touch. That's the gospel. Uncleanness. We bring uncleanness to him, and he gives us cleanness. We bring sin and death, and he gives us life and hope. And he can do it through his clothing. Right? And he, and he can do it without even thinking about it. Because he's God. She came, and that's the gospel in a touch. Even imperfect faith can save when it's properly focused on Jesus. You don't have to have all the answers or know all the right things to say or be able to give the theological dissertations of who Jesus is. All you've got to do is have faith and move towards him in faith. And that is enough to save. This woman, she didn't know who he was. She didn't call him God. She didn't say, you are the Messiah. She snuck in and grabbed his cloak, and it was enough to save her faith was focused on Christ. Faith focused on Jesus gave her courage to overcome her fear. Her fear of rejection, her fears of hopelessness, her fears of potential backlash from the crowd. It moved her to the feet of Jesus and his response was to make her clean. But in making her clean and stopping everything, he declared something. He declared something really important that you need to hear today. Notice how he responded to the woman. In verse 22, Jesus turning and seeing to her said, Daughter, daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. Daughter, Jesus, a guy in his 30s, like right 30 to 33, somewhere in there, depending on when this happened in his public ministry, has a 24 to 27 year old come up to him and he calls her daughter. He should have said sister or woman or hey you. But he didn't. He said, daughter. Why did he say daughter? Because he's declaring something about himself. He's declaring to her. He's declaring to Jairus, whose daughter is sick, right? Because this all started with a daughter, a sick daughter that was dying. He's saying, you know what? You are my daughter. I'm not a soothsayer. I'm not a magician. I'm God. I'm your father. He identified her as daughter because he was her father in the flesh. He's our father. You hear that, Jairus? Check this out. You started with the love of your daughter motivating you to overcome your fears and move towards me in faith. And I just want you to know that this woman right here is my daughter also. So I get the love that you have for yours, but I want you to see the love that I have for mine. That she can be nothing and come to me, and I love her, and I'm going to save her. 
and I'm going to heal her. And I'm going to care for her. And I'm going to walk with her through her suffering. I am God in the flesh. I am God the Father. I created all things. I knit this woman who the rest of the world hates together in her mother's womb. I know her. And in the same way that you've come to save your daughter, I've come to save my children. My daughters and my sons. I've come for them. Now, come with me and let me show you what that looks like in your house. Right? That's what he's saying to Jairus by stopping. Now, we have a choice to make. Right? We just like Jairus in this moment where this tension has been built, where Jesus stops and heals this woman. But think about it from Jairus' perspective. It's like calling 911 and on the way the ambulance stops to get Krispy Kreme. <laughs> right? And not only that, but you call 911 and then, because something's going on in your house, you call 911, you call for the police, and you get behind the police, and you're following them, and you're like, come on, let's go, let's go get to my house, they're going to break in, my kids are there by themselves, and they pull off to get their car washed at Autobell. You're, you're like, whoa! What are you doing? Let's go. There's important stuff happening here. And you got a choice. You can get angry. You can get frustrated. Or you can put your faith in Jesus. Right? That's what his choice was. I can get mad at God or I can put my faith in Jesus. We, he had a choice to make. He had a faith-focusing choice. Say it with me. Faith-focusing choice. Faith-focusing choice. He had one to make right there. He could have looked at Jesus with great anger. He could have said, why are you dealing with this roughage of society? My daughter, I'm a, I'm a synagogue leader here. I'm a person of influence. My daughter is dying. I came to you first. I was in line first. You know, come on, let's go. Or, and he, he, and he could have at that point even just lost all hope. Right? Because in Mark and Luke we see that a servant comes at this time. Right after this woman's healed and comes and says, don't worry about it, Jairus. Your daughter's dead. It's over. There is no hope. He went to Jesus believing she was dead, but she wasn't yet, according to Mark and Luke. And, and then a servant comes in after the healing of this woman and says, yeah, we're just going to confirm it. She just died. It's over. So he had a faith-focusing choice to make. He could go back to hopelessness and fear. Or he could say, I just saw God the Father heal his daughter. I guess I'll put my faith in that. You've been there too, right? You've prayed in faith. You've, you've struggled hard. You've but then something happened in your life that was like a final word. It was like a nail in the coffin. Nope, it's over. And you, and you had to make a decision. Do I trust Jesus or do I, just, do I retreat to fear and take over control and do it my own self? Right? Maybe you prayed for a new job, for that first child, for relief of pain or suffering, to overcome temptation, for an opportunity, and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed really hard. You've been on your knees, you've fasted, you've done everything you think you should do so that you can please God, but at the end of the day, you find out, well, we just filled that position, so sorry. We'll keep your resume on file, though. Thanks for calling. Hopeless again. You go and you look at the pregnancy test. Not pregnant. That problem, that struggle, that sin that you face and you face and you pray through and you've disciplined yourself. You've even confessed the others so that they would hold you accountable and it just won't go away and, and you fall again. Hopeless. You're in your 30s and you remain a virgin. And there is no relationship on the horizon. And you're discouraged. <clears throat> what will you do? What what did you do? What will you do? What will you do in the future? 
Will you shake your fist at God quietly in the depths of your heart and be like, I hate you. I'm done with you. I'm going to handle this. All while wearing a big smile at church. Everything's fine. Don't worry about me. I'm good. You know, it's like, I trust Jesus. Will you shift your faith and your hope to your abilities to overcome? Or will you continue to have your faith focused on Christ? The sovereign creator of all things. The one who has the power to move mountains. To conquer death. To heal the hemorrhage of 12 years. And to raise a little girl from death. You have a faith-focusing choice to make every single day of your life. How, where will your faith be focused? It's not a Jesus-focused faith. Notice it's a Father-focused faith that overcomes our fear. right? Because Jesus is not just the Son. He is the Father in the flesh. right? And He said, I am the Father. I called her daughter. You're my daughter. He was communicating that clearly. So when we focus our faith on God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, then our fears can be trampled over by the power and the comfort of Christ. And He can give us a new hope. But not maybe in the time we want it, right? Jared stood right there. In that moment, he could choose where he would go. He put the blinders on of his servant. And he said, you know what? I heard what you said, but I don't care. I trust Jesus. Jesus, come on, let's go to the house. And he grabbed him up and he kept leading him to his house. And that wait, which was probably a minute, or a minute or a few minutes to heal this lady, to stop the crowd and say, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go and have peace. That, that little was a lifetime to Jairus. It was his daughter's lifetime. Right? It was a lifetime. So Jesus comes to Jairus' house. He clears out the distractions, the paid mourners, the people that you had to have when someone died. And he says, "Don't. what are y'all doing here? Get out of here. She's just sleeping. And what'd they do? They laughed at him. Like, this guy's an idiot. We know she's dead. We get paid to know she's dead. They laughed at him. And then he goes into the room and he, and he takes his three disciples, Peter, James, and John, and the mother and the father, and he walks in and he grabs this girl's hand and he says, get up. She's just sleeping. Get up. She gets up. And one text says she walks around the room or she dances around the room. The other one says she's hungry. So Jesus says, get this woman some food. Which, I mean, this little girl some food, which I can imagine if you just died and you woke up and probably want some food. I mean, Jesus ate fish after he died. They rose from the dead, so... Imagine, that was probably what happened. Wanted some food. And, um, and Jairus was sitting there, seeing that God just overcame his fears, but it took longer than he wanted it to happen. Right? There, that, time, that time was important. There was purpose in it. There was, there was a reason Jesus spent time in the crowd and stopped to communicate his love for his children, who he's come to save, and through the woman with the hemorrhage. There was a reason for that. And just like, but Jesus could have spoken the words from the shore, Right? He could have got off the boat and Jairus could have bowed down and said, my daughter is dead. Will you raise her from the dead? And he could have said, just like he did to the centurion, because of your faith, it shall be done for you. She's alive, right? He didn't have to spend the time going through the crowd and walking to Jairus' house. He didn't have to spend the time hanging out with this woman who was bleeding. But this time, this period of time, helped Jairus' faith grow. And all through that time, he had choices to make. Do I trust Jesus or do I not trust Jesus? He had choices to make. But in that time... Great faith and great hope was the end result. I believe that Jesus was teaching him, his followers, even us today, that time, utilizing time is a, a big thing. Time that frankly stinks when you're the one waiting, right? Jesus is saying to you today, here are two extremes in this culture. There's, there's the roughage and there's the status, 
right? The, the people who have it all and the people who have nothing. And all that comes, all that levels them at my feet is faith. All that levels them, all that puts them on the same playing field is faith. The one with status came and bowed down before me. The one with nothing came and crawled up to my feet and grabbed my cloak, all because of faith. A man and a woman. Faith focused on the Father, overcame their fears, and brought them a new hope. He's teaching us that He is the Father, full of love for us. He understands our suffering from every angle. He understands that time is not the great equalizer. Time does not, does not ruin our hope. Time is, can be used to build our hope. And He's come to save us. He's come to help us, to walk through our pain and suffering. He's come to teach us that through the, the, the presence of His Spirit, when we put our faith in Him, He gives us His Spirit. And in His Spirit, we can endure all suffering. We can endure all pain. There is no such thing as hopelessness because at the end of it, there's always life. Life eternal. Life everlasting. Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. Christ came to that he might give us life. And life abundant. That's at the end of hope. That's at the end of faith. It's life. Not hopelessness. So the same is true for us. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you bring to the table. You can bring your perfect Sunday school attendance record or you can bring your criminal record. Right? It doesn't matter what you bring to him. If you come in faith, he calls you son, he calls you daughter, he walks with you, and he gives you a new hope. Your situation may not miraculously change right then. Right? He may, you may watch other people receive blessings in the time that you're waiting on God to come through for you. But he still is with you, and he's still walking with you. And you have a choice to make. Will you focus your faith on the Father, or will you focus your faith on your fear? Will you drive into yourself and take over control? Or you trust the sovereign creator of all things? The one who spans time in his finger. Right? One who measures the galaxies like that. That's probably big enough. Where's your faith focus? Say it with me. Father-focused faith overcomes our fear and restores our hope. Father-focused faith overcomes our fear and restores our hope. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you for this text. I thank you what you've written in here. And I thank you for that declaration of daughter, your faith has made you well. That Jesus identified himself clearly as a father who has a father's love. A father's love that has moved him into our, our realm, right? It, from, from heaven onto earth as Christ. And then he came to save. He came to save from sin. He came to save from death. That... There is no such thing as hopelessness in Christ. There's always a hope. But time, while time stinks, frankly, time is not an issue when our faith is focused on the Father. You restore us. And you've given us a new hope. So I want to pray for the, everyone in here that I asked them first, what are they scared of? What are... What is your faith? What is what is your fear? Where's your hopelessness? Holy Spirit, will you come right now and and help them endure? Give them a comfort, a touch, a, a word from your from your spirit, Lord. Will you just be here and say, I've got you. I'm the sovereign God. And you may be seeing people around you receiving blessings, but I am with you. You are my son. You are my daughter. Don't lose hope. Take courage. 
your faith will overcome. Your will be done. For you to bring healing and restoration in this time. Amen. Savior.